What Was Cool, hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Uh, so anyways, Mike, since Luigi was killed by Simon Belmont, the next logical step is for the setting of Luigi's Mansion 4 to be him escaping hell. That makes sense to me, Neil. It seems like it's time for him to get out of something that he really shouldn't mm-hmm. be in, you know, but, uh, oh, we're live. Oh, well, life. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm sure Nintendo will be all for that idea. Unpopular opinion, though, probably <laughs> towards the, the whole Luigi's Mansion thing. I think we need to pump the brakes on that franchise just a little bit. We're getting remakes and remasters and sequels. I feel like all of a sudden, like Luigi's Mansion in the last five years or so has come out of nowhere. It's like this annualized franchise. And I'm just sitting here waiting for my Star Fox and Donkey Kong to come back and F-Zero, of course. I, of course. Well, we have F zero ninety nine now, Neil. So everything <laughs> you could leave. <laughs> but yeah, I, <laughs> well, when we have Luigi's Mansion ninety nine, uh, and uh, that's that's the true one where we'll we'll start in different areas. I do like the idea of Luigi's Mansion four not being a mansion at all. I know it was a hotel mm-hmm. uh, on Luigi's Mansion three, but this one, yeah, just just he is dead as as confirmed in that Super Smash Bros mm-hmm. trailer uh, back in the day of when Simon Belmont joined the crew is along with. Uh, the other guy's uh, Richter. Name? Richter, yep. thank you. Yes. Uh, along with him, uh, he literally killed mm-hmm. Luigi. Just the, the death came to Luigi there. And so Luigi's body is in hell, maybe purgatory or something. And you got to get out uh, and you got to make your way out of the, the, the uh, through these demons and stuff instead of ghosts. Diablo 4, cool. Luigi's Mansion 4 crossover, maybe yeah. some opportunity there. Uh, yeah, I would love to see Luigi like explore something else. Like I just said, we need to pump the brakes on the franchise. But now I'm saying like maybe not a house <laughs> or a mansion, but like a, an air, like an airplane, like a jumbo jet would be kind of cool, or like a haunted ship, oh, like okay. uh, that the classic horror film Ghost Ship. Uh, the ten people out there listening know that movie. <laughs> uh, I think that'd be really. Co- I think that'd be honestly really cool. Like you know, let's put him. Let's put him yeah, somewhere right? else. But uh, first, we got to pump the brakes on it though, and give us an F Zero and a Star Fox game, and eventually we'll get Luigi's Mansion ninety nine, which is where all franchises go to die. But uh, that'll be an interesting. Interesting day when we finally see that on the Nintendo eShop. But something that we did Can't see wait. recently, Mike, in the last couple of weeks, new Blink album. We talk a lot about Blink-182 on this podcast. Of course, we're huge fans of uh, Tom DeLong and all of his hijinks out there looking for aliens. Big fan. Tom DeLong was cool, is cool, always will be cool. I got to <laughs> talk to you because we haven't talked about this album at all, really, offline or online. Um, let's run through it. What do you think of Blink-182's One More Time? Well, Neil, uh, yeah, I can't believe it came out, of course, on the big day, Super Mario Wonder, Blink-182, and Spider-Man all coming out. The only one that I've experienced so far, Neil, as of this episode, is Blink-182's One More Time. So I guess this is the only one we can talk about for now, and I'm sure we'll we'll be able to talk about those other two very soon. But yeah, the album itself was was relatively solid. Uh, I do have some some complaints with it, as as anyone would with a a new album, Uh, but uh, the fact that these guys are back together after 12 years uh, of uh, since neighborhoods uh, I think I think this is probably what neighborhoods should mm-hmm. have been was the first thing I thought of when I listened to this it, it was quite Tom heavy which neighborhoods was as well and uh, it definitely had a, a bit of that same sense uh, of of Tom's lyrics and stuff in that but I think uh, I think this does a little a better job of, of keeping that kind of like fun loving silliness that blink is of course mm-hmm. known for. Uh, with some good like thirty second songs yeah. on there. Honestly, the thirty second songs are all really good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I want all those as uh, to be elongated. Uh, but yeah, there's some great tracks on there. I mean, one more time, the the 
the single the title the, track the, the title track yeah. is fantastic yeah. it's it's probably my favorite song on the album because it's it's so good oh, yeah. it's so it, it, it's so nostalgic too when you watch mm-hmm. the, video. the video is perfect i'm looking forward to more music videos the first couple that they've put out uh have been pretty good for the most part the 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 um the dance with me song what is it i don't know the Olay song i keep for I, I don't know all the songs yet the titles which is fun uh but i love yeah. the homage to the ramones that they had in that video uh edging is still my least favorite song on the album i think that's hilarious uh, a year after that single comes out, I still don't like it. It's the song that I skip when I listen to it, um, when I listen to the album all the way through. It's long, this album. 44 minutes and 35 seconds, 17 songs. You did mention that there's a couple of 30-second songs in there, like F-Face, which is awesome. Love that song. Um, but oh, you're yeah. right. This is a very Tom-heavy album, and I'm okay with that. I know that with um, with Mark's uh, cancer, I know that he had a big issue relearning how to sing properly after all the chemo, learning how to play bass. So I think that that might've been partially by design. He does have maybe one or two uh, prominent songs on the album that it's mostly Mark. Um, But I think a lot of it had to do with his condition, but it is true over the years, like Blink-182, they did start off very much like a 50-50 split between Tom and Mark. And now, what, 30 years later, it feels like they're more like maybe 60-40, 70-30, more in favor of Tom songs, which is fine. It doesn't have to be a perfect split every time. It's something that I'm sure every band with two vocalists uh, comes across. Um, But I do have to say, the album starts off with arguably one of my favorite opening tracks now of all time, up there with Bleed American and My Name is Jonas and American Idiot and all those. We talk a lot about first songs on the album being a big big thing for us. We love what, what's that first song going to be. And Anthem part three is a banger of a track. I love it. I, I don't want to talk to you about that. What do you think of the third, the, the third part of the trilogy? It's been building up <laughs> since 1999. What'd you think of that song? <laughs> I, I had to make a little playlist on Spotify of all three anthems to, to have them play back to back. So that's what I did. Uh, and it was funny because I'm like, yeah, I guess they're kind of similar, but like, I think they're just <laughs> at this point, they're just yeah. calling them uh, uh, anthem to, to just be in on the joke, mm-hmm. basically. I mean, it starts very similarly, this one, to Anthem yeah. Part 2, so that makes sense. But yeah, it, it was um, it was a great track. I, I, it's probably my second favorite track on the album mm-hmm. so far. Uh, it's a great yep. opener. Uh, kicks it off right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then there's some other songs on there. This album really does feel like the perfect combination. You said it best. This is what Neighborhoods should have been because it feels like the perfect combination of all of the band's side projects over the last 15 or 20 years um, with Plus 44, Angels and Airwaves, The Transplants, um, and everything else that they've done. It feels a lot like everything has come together to make this. Like, we've got some songs in there like Blink Wave that sounds like an Angels and Airwaves song. It's a cool song, yeah. You got uh, Terrified, which I was like, this sounds like Boxcar Racer. And they have already said in an interview, it is. It's a Boxcar Racer song, which was so cool. I I love finding stuff like that. It's like, man, this sounds a lot like... Boxcar Racer, who could forget that classic, what, 2003 album? Awesome stuff. Um, yeah. The one thing I will say, though, about this album, and then we can uh, move on to the episode at large, is the... Uh, the, the yeah, let's get some yeah, cons well, here. I mean, I already, <laughs> we've already talked for the last year about edging being my biggest con, but I got to say, I'm not not a huge fan of the album art, unfortunately. Uh, I, I thought I was really expecting something... Yeah. Maybe with a little bit more color, a little bit more pizzazz, like something like more blink, I guess. Like, I get it. They had to put the band's faces on the album. They've never done that before, um, which was kind of weird. As soon as I saw it, though, I was like, oh, I can see this this album being memed to death. Like, I could just picture, like, Donald Trump's mugshot <laughs> being put on this. Like, it, it's just kind of an up, like an up close. It looks like three mugshots, basically. And then it says one more time. Yeah. I would have preferred something a little bit more fun, a little bit more upbeat, something that looks nice on a shelf. Like I have no interest in, in like the vinyl cover of that. Like it's nothing like uh, Enema of the State, nothing as iconic as their self-titled album. So 
it's it's a really minor nitpick and for the most part album artwork does not matter and when you're talking about the streaming services and everything so just a minor thing but yeah you're you're an album art aficionado did you have a similar feeling when you saw this album uh, pop up on your spotify yeah that was one of my cons for sure is i didn't love the album art doesn't seem very innovative or or original and it feels like what the album art should be for the single because it feels like almost um like you know more sad and and everything uh, like the black yeah. and white uh i was hoping I, that this album would have a bit because this album does have a lot of color and it. it's got a lot of variations mm-hmm. so i was hoping there'd be some fun like, things going on the album cover but it's yeah. okay my my biggest my bigger con is honestly the production i don't like the production mm. of this album uh, i think it's it's got like that tinny feel that like overproduced feel yeah. i think to it and maybe that's because these guys' voices need a lot of auto-tune <laughs> nowadays <laughs> on them. Tom certainly yeah. does a uh, lot of auto-tune on his voice throughout the album but uh, uh, yeah I don't love the production Travis mm-hmm. did it and it was just Travis doing it for the first time. I feel like they would have benefited from an outside producer um, on this one because but I think uh, I was I was uh, here talking to a friend of mine about this too and he was like well maybe that was a bit of the compromise of them getting back together was like uh, oh, Travis gets to do the production mm. of it. Maybe. So who who knows? But yeah. Uh, and then just like uh, there's there's some uh, the sequencing that I don't okay. love on the album. Like Terrified Into One More Time is really yeah. weird. Uh, I don't like that transition at all. Uh, there's a couple of other times that it's a bit of a weird transition. Uh, I feel like the 30 second songs are weirdly spaced mm-hmm. out, like where they could be in the album. So there, there's a bunch of little sequencing things that I was like, ah, oh, like they could have probably done a better job with yeah. that. But yeah, I feel okay. like I need, I need, I need a little bit more time with the one more time to figure out where I'd put every song. I do like doing <laughs> that though. When uh, albums feel out of order to me and I'm sure that that'll start to, I'll start to pick up on stuff like that as the years go by. So I, I would really like to do that with you at some point is to like figure out what would make this album kind of flow better but uh, we'll get to that in a, in a couple mm-hmm. of years I suppose but Mike I think that it's about time for our favorite segment since this is the first episode of the month as is tradition it's time for our mailbag mailbag ladies and gentlemen if you want to write into our mailbag segment you can do so by writing us a review on any of the podcast services you listen to us on like Spotify or you can write to us on Facebook Instagram and Discord we will read your message on the podcast just like Mike who's our first writer of the day our first writer in today is Joel uh, E from somewhere uh, <laughs> saying uh, I, <laughs> I'm a new listener here love y'all's podcast I'm a big GameCube enthusiast and collector I've been listening from the first podcast on I'm on episode 12 at the moment thanks for the cool chats keep up the good work nice. wow he's uh, he's gotten through 12 episodes. You know what? We only get better, Joel. We only get better. Yep. Keep keep on going. You got a long way to go to episode 12. Can't wait to hear back from you and you make it to episode... How many did we do? 125? Some, something in the 120s? 125, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mid-30s of this one. So, uh, Godspeed and uh, keep in touch with us. Let us know how it goes. Mm-hmm. Our next writer-in comes from Lance Widmer on Spotify. The Neil's Wedding Was Cool podcast. Congratulations, man. I'm a recent married man myself, and I would love a shout-out for my lovely wife, Kara. Thanks for the great content, as always, guys. Shout-out to Here's your wife. Shout-out to Kara. Shout-out, yeah. I, I'd love to... I, Congratulations. It's a big accomplishment. Huge milestone this year. I collected a life tile, as I like to say. Uh, you know, got married. You know, got an extra car person in the car now. And uh, yeah, huge milestone for sure. Big day. Had an Oreo station there. All my best friends were there. So uh, yeah, gonna. I can't wait. I'm going to be getting the photos any day now. It's very exciting. 
we didn't we unfortunately did not have a Neil's wedding was cool podcast banner oh. at the wedding, but you know what? It's okay. Missed opportunity. <laughs> Maybe for yours, Mike, we can get that done. <laughs> exactly. There we go. <laughs> Mine was just a warm up for yours. <laughs> Next up, we have Shuma Garath seven two one two who rates on Spotify for two of these episodes. Uh, when I was three to seven, I loved Brio and the Thomas the Tank Engine wooden trains, and I was born in twenty twelve. Uh, so that's crazy for one someone being born in twenty twelve. <laughs> Yeah. Two, someone <laughs> listening to our podcast, born in 2012, loved that. Uh, and three, uh, that they also loved Brio and Thomas the Tank Engine because uh, those were timeless things. And we talked about that. And of course, our toys from the 90s and 2000s episode. My brain just broke twice with you reading that because at first I thought I <laughs> yeah. thought the message said, I, when I was 37, I love Brio and Thomas oh. the Tank Engine. And then it was when I was born in 2012. And I was like, man... What are you, 11 years old? Good good, good for you. That's awesome. Thank you for listening. Uh, you were born almost after the Wii was even relevant, which is crazy that you you found us uh, GameCube was cool podcast and everything and enjoyed Breath of the Wild. You were five when that came out. I'm Mike, I feel way too old. We need to get to the next letter in the mailbag here. Joey from Buffalo, New York. Big fan of Buffalo. Hey, guys. Love the show. I just listened to the Fantasy Star Online episode, and it occurred to me that I still have the keyboard slash controller. My grandparents imported it from Japan for me. I'll try to dig it out of the closet and send you guys some pictures. That would be sick. That is the coolest GameCube controller ever. I would love Nintendo to do something like that again. That was a cool episode. I love doing that one. That's that's definitely in my top 10 episodes for sure that we did, and, and that yeah. controller... Please, yeah, Joey, I would love to see that picture. I really want to, because I don't think I've ever actually seen one in the wild. So I would love to to see what this actually looks like. Like, well, I know what it looks like, but I want to see it function. I want to buy one. Neil, that's a wedding present for me. Oh, okay. I'll keep that one in mind, Mike. Thank you so much. Yeah, put it on your registry. Just game, weird GameCube controller, the the RE4 controller, the GameCube controller. Your your fiance, not your fiance yet, but your future wife would love that. It's like, all right, honey, the, uh, the, the we're having we're having company over. We need to bring out the good GameCube controllers. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 the head of the table GameCube yeah. controller. <laughs> Oh. And and the last letter we have here in this deep mailbag this this month, a very deep mailbag, mm-hmm. which I'd love to see, uh, comes from Croncube on Instagram saying, wow, thank you for the following the channel. I started listening to the GameCube was cool not too long after it started, and I loved it. It's one of the big inspirations for doing Croncube. Glad you found new things to keep going with after getting through the library. You guys have excellent podcast energy, super professional presentation, and nice chill vibes that make for a fun time listen keep up the awesome stuff wow that's so nice holy cow that's what a what a nice what a nice young man right on cube that, that's that's a great i'm i'm so happy to hear I, I never thought that we'd be on the other end of like inspiring other people to start their own little projects their own podcasts or youtube videos or stuff like that that is awesome so glad that the gamecube is still relevant we kept it going i'm gonna i'm gonna give i'm gonna take credit for keeping the gamecube going for three years between 2020 and now oh i mean we literally did we we, we uh, uh the cron cube uh, video service, the the YouTube channel that is Croncube is a, a, a proof of that we were mm-hmm. able to keep the GameCube going all these years now. And uh, yeah, definitely, if you haven't, uh, check out Croncube on YouTube, uh, similar to what GameCube Galaxy, who's been on quite a few times, Marcello does, uh, but uh, they so far are kind of going game by game and breaking down a lot of the history and a lot of the kind of I guess, where the game came from, where the ideas came from. So very cool channel. Definitely check it out. I'm sure at some point we'll probably do some kind of collab with them because we got to support whatever small amount of GameCube content there is out there, Neil. 
Yeah, very little life support on there. Nintendo sure as hell isn't doing anything. <laughs> no. So everybody out there who has a GameCube, please show it some love. Pop in some uh, beautiful Joe and some Fantasy Star Online. Dig out your uh, GameCube keyboard controller out of your parents or your grandparents' attic and uh, and, and game on tonight in our, in our honor. The GameCube was cool honor. But, Mike, mm-hmm. that is the end of the mailbag segment. The mailbag, as you said before, is deep, but it is empty. So I think it's about time that we jump into today's episode. What do you think? Neil, it is November 1st, and there's only one mm-hmm. thing to do on November 1st. Yep, pop in a nice brand new copy of The Nightmare Before Christmas. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 36 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast, the show about all things retro that we love from our childhood. New episode every Thursday and sometimes Wednesday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one podcast on the internet, hosted by people who will continue to review Blink-182 records. You can support the show on patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. Supporters at the $5 level get to submit and vote on our monthly Patreon elected episode. Last week, we talked about the pc classic adventure game grim fandango neil disappeared for a while me i disappeared for a while and uh, slipped into uh one of the seven circles of hell but i came back Mm -hmm. clearly i came back for this week's episode and this week we are talking about the classic 1993 stop animation film that was released to moderate success in theaters but over the last 30 years has snowballed into an all-time classic family film a cult classic in the emo goth and scene community it has Posters, t-shirts, fan art, and millions of other products in uh, Hot Topic and Spencer's Gifts around North America. We are, of course, talking about the classic Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, which was released on October 29th, 1993, directed by Henry Selick, produced by Tim Burton and Denise DeNovi. Clocks in at 76 minutes, a box office of $50 million on a $24 million budget. If you count all of the re-releases that the movie has had over the years, it is now at around $91.5 million. Rates at 8.4 on Metacritic, 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 3.9 on Letterboxd. And as I said before, it is a stop-motion animated musical dark fantasy film mike what are your memories of nightmare before christmas from back in the day and what do you think of this movie today well i mean i think to a certain extent i know this movie because of stuff that you were saying beforehand about how this really permeated our culture in terms of like yeah things like spencer's gifts hot topics just like like this like the jack skeleton face being everywhere and I think for me, for a while, I just knew Nightmare Before Christmas because of all the little things that Disney ended up selling uh, of it. Uh, I guess because Tim Burton didn't want to make another movie uh, or sequel. So like, okay, we got to drain this this cash cow somehow. Uh, and of course, I would see uh, countless people with Nightmare Before Christmas toques, uh, little figurines. Uh, obviously, the music was was everywhere uh in the in the 90s 2000s and i don't think i actually end up seeing this movie until maybe 2003 2004 around there wow uh i my cousins had it on vhs and i think uh i think they had just gotten the vhs dvd combo player which is uh, the one that everyone had uh -hmm. (laughs) where yeah picture the one yeah (laughs) picture the one you know and uh and i we had watched return of the jedi because yeah so it was 2004 um because that's when that 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 box set for star wars came out with the three movies Mm -hmm. uh of the original trilogy like the gold vader head you know what i'm talking about yeah Um, you know the one you know the one and (laughs) just all things that people are picturing right now and uh and we watched return of the jedi on dvd and that was such a big thing i remember like wow dvd and i guess we wanted to test out 
the uh, the VHS as well to make sure that worked. And the movie that they used was Nightmare Before Christmas. And I didn't have this VHS, but of course they did. And they had seen it before. So it was my first time watching it. And I remember really liking it, but I also remember being kind of freaked out for a lot of the scenes and not scared necessarily, but just being like, oh, like, this is weird. <laughs> like, And I, I knew Tim Burton a little bit. I had seen some movies uh, as a kid, but I, I, I hadn't really exp- like fully experienced what Tim Burton was. I was pretty pretty much too young to see his more weird movies. You know, I had seen Beetlejuice. Of course, I loved Beetlejuice as a kid because my dad really likes Beetlejuice. Uh, And I watched Batman, obviously. And I think I watched Edward Scissorhands, maybe. Uh, And, oh, and Mars Attacks, because I had a friend's older brother who loved Mars Attacks and would always put it on. Um, So those were like the only things I had really seen or experienced. Uh, So I got a little bit of that Tim Burton-esque kind of fanciful weirdness of uh of what Nightmare Before Christmas ended up being but I I didn't really fully experience it until I saw that and watching it again this week I was like yeah I can see how this would freak out a kid (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's super creepy it's I I think that this is way less creepy than something like uh Beetlejuice like that 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 movie's got some terrifying stuff in it because it's live action it does yeah Nightmare Before Christmas is basically just action figures on screen uh being photographed tens of thousands of times to put to make a film basically yeah. uh, i didn't know that you watched it so much later you were yeah. like 10 or 11 that's that's crazy in my mind like everybody in the 80s and 90s watched this movie when they were in kindergarten because that's when i saw it but i might have uh, just don't remember <laughs> no yeah it's true totally fair like it was probably on at like a dentist office or like i feel yeah. like it's one of those movies it's actually a perfect film for like a school maybe it's a little too creepy for school but like you you, you need an hour or yeah, an hour and a half to kill frame. yeah it's the perfect timing for a, for a school movie because it's an hour long so like if you need to watch something because it's indoor recess or it's one period before christmas break or something like this is a a good choice i suppose depending on your outlook on whether or not this is a christmas or a halloween movie but i have very fond memories of watching nightmare before christmas as a kid i think i was maybe six uh 1999 ish when we had it but keep in mind i have a brother that i've mentioned before he's five years older than me so i was exposed to a lot of things that I, when i was way too young like evil dead and the <laughs> mummy and uh starship troopers and other great great you know horror sci-fi movies alien as a kid uh and just got continuously scarred by films so there was just no regard to what i was watching and i mean as a parent like okay this is an animated film it's probably fine for him to watch and so nightmare before christmas has been a movie in the gilbert household since the late 90s and we watched it consistently pretty much every halloween uh for the better part of a decade i would say um and years before it ever became mainstream um like i like i loved it when i was a kid we loved all the songs my parents liked the songs never did any of the costumes for halloween from what i can remember um but we always got like random little toys or you know candy or like lots of like weird products that the this franchise has come out with over the years because like you said before uh disney never made a sequel because tim burton and henry Selleck never wanted to so they had to capitalize on as much of the marketing as possible with toys and the odd video game and mostly t-shirts basically half of every hot topic is nightmare (laughs) Nightmare before christmas which is why it dovetails perfectly into the neil emo phase which we talked about a few weeks ago on the black parade episode Mm -hmm. how i had my emo phase back in the uh late 2000s around two 2008 2009 and uh nightmare before christmas was basically the the peanut butter and jam to the black parade nightmare before christmas was that other thing every emo and scene kid had a jack and sally t-shirt or fingerless gloves or a toque like you said before a hoodie um in the emo era of the uh the scene like the the scene kid era like 
Nightmare Before Christmas was the other merch that every kid had. Um, it was yeah. just it was just so synonymous with that. I think that a lot of the re-releases of the films helped. Uh, basically, every year between I think it was two thousand six and two thousand nine, it was put in theaters for one reason or, or one reason or another. I remember when three D films became a big deal. They put it back in theaters in three D, which I never saw that actually. I kind of regret not seeing it. I feel like this would be a really neat movie to see in uh, in three D. Yeah, it'd be really cool just because everything is so you know, shapely and pokey and, and like it just everything stands out so well. Everything is sharp and jagged. I think it would just look really cool. Um, but the whole, the whole movie, it's like I said before, it's 76 minutes long and it's based on a poem that uh, Tim Burton wrote at the time he was working at Disney. He was employed by Walt Disney animation in the early eighties, I believe. And he mm-hmm. wrote a, a short, basically a three page poem that if you own the Blu-ray, I believe it's uh, actually a bonus feature. You can watch an animated uh, rendition of it and it's narrated by Christopher Lee it's really good yeah. uh, and he presented it to Disney and they basically refused it so he was fired from Disney shortly after that and uh, was too busy to uh, revisit the project he was busy with Batman at the time making Batman Returns and a few other products uh, which is why he uh, he lent the franchise over to Henry Selleck who ended up directing it unfortunately Selleck doesn't get nearly as much credit as Tim Burton does yeah. for the film um, but it was a main, the main inspiration for him was other stop motion and Christmas movies like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And that's what makes this movie so perfect is it's the, just the perfect combination of all the classic uh, Christmas movies that we all know and love from our childhood mixed in with the twisted mind of, of Tim Burton. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 a great way to really sum up what this movie is and the kind of the yeah. cult following that it's gotten to because you're absolutely right. This This movie has gotten bigger every year since it's come out you know it was very modestly successful when it came out um basically making its money back but nothing more uh and and but disney realized that they did have something here but uh it's uh, it's definitely made some more money with the re-releases and also all the all the merch that's out there for sure but uh, we'll talk about tim burton just a little bit uh we obviously already have a little bit but i want to dive into him before we dive into the plot and everything and and the great characters and the music in this uh i was gonna say in this game <laughs> in this uh <laughs> in this movie there are games we'll talk about those uh, near the end of the episode but um mm-hmm. uh so tim burton his filmography he actually his first movie was not beetlejuice i always thought it was it's actually Wee's big adventure and that's why he has this uh, collaboration with Paul Rubens, who's, of course, in, in Batman as well uh, as the Riddler. But uh, after Pee-wee is Beetlejuice, then we have Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Ed Wood, Mars Attacks, Sleepy Hollow, Planet of the Apes. And, and once we hit Planet of the Apes, this is where things start to go downhill <laughs> yeah. for Tim Burton. We got Big Fish, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, Corpse Bride, which is a very good movie, uh, Sweeney Todd, Alice in Wonderland, Dark Shadows. Uh, that's a terrible movie if anyone's ever seen that. Uh, Frank and Weenie, Big Eyes, Mrs. Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, and maybe the worst of all of these, and I was so sad to see it, Dumbo which was uh, a really bad take that uh, I, I'm i glad that, or it seems like no one has talked about since that that came out to Disney+. Plus. I mean, most of the live-action Disney films get forgotten regardless. I I, I really like The Corpse Bride and uh, even Frankenweenie, too. The, yeah. the animated stuff is never bad, like Tim yep. Burton animated stuff and even Henry Selleck coming back and making James and the Giant Peach yep. and Coraline later. Like, all of those films are classics in my mind. I liked Big Fish. I remember actually enjoying that one. I don't... 
I keep forgetting what that movie's even about, but I, I, I remember liking it at least. But yeah. any of his Disney remakes have not been great. Alice in Wonderland and Dumbo uh, being the main ones. I don't even remember Big Eyes or Dark Shadows. I don't know what those are. Like, <laughs> I honestly fine. can't. Is Dark Shadows the one where Johnny Depp is a vampire? Yep. Is that Dark Shadows? It was literally, and it's 2012. So it's just like, hey guys, you know what's really big right now? <laughs> Vampires. Vampires. Tim Burton, oh. would you like to uh, maybe <laughs> do something with this? But yeah, so uh, unfortunately, he hasn't hit too hard with movies for the last 20 years. But uh, he, of course, was uh, is going to be directing Beetlejuice 2 coming out in 2024. And he did a great job directing most of the episodes, or at least the the the, the, the probably the the bigger chunk of the episodes uh for wednesday uh the, the big hit netflix uh show and it's funny when you actually look up tim burton on wikipedia he has an entire section or sorry an entire page that is just called tim burton's unrealized projects because this <laughs> is just imagine. the guy this person you know he he's just someone who has a thousand ideas in his head at all times uh some interesting ones that i i read about were was a, a catwoman project that never actually came out a Catwoman did get a movie, but this was going to be his kind of version of it. Uh, Batman Continues, which was going to be the third movie in the Batman trilogy for him. Um, the Fall of the House of Usher, which now is actually out as a Netflix uh, uh, movie. Um, Superman Lives, which is a legendary Lost movie. That's the one that was supposed to be with Nicolas Cage starring as oh, Superman. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Michael Keaton was was supposedly going to reprise his role as Batman as well in that movie. Kind of a very early... Uh, alternative universe kind of crossover MCU kind of thing going on. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas sequel as well that was talked about uh, and a Wizard of Oz TV series that was even in the works. So always been a lot of things going on in Tim Burton's mind. He is uh, he's quite quite the fellow. I can imagine. I like as much as like a, a lot of his films that I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, like you mentioned, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and a few others, like as bad as some of those films are, like I didn't like them at least. A lot of them are pretty commercially successful actually but they mm-hmm. all are outweighed heavily by the stuff that he does so well like the 80s batman films are so good yeah uh, mars attacks is one of my favorite sci-fi films of all time uh edward scissorhands and beetlejuice are classics of course and all of his work with uh, michael keaton and johnny depp and then some of the actors in nightmare before christmas like all of his hits are just so big that it just outweighs yep. anything that might just be kind of like a bit of a shrug um his name just carries so much weight in uh in film uh, like Scorsese or like even George Lucas to a point like he's such he's so good at, at creating worlds and characters and stories um, that anytime he comes out with anything people at least their ears they perk up a little bit like it's hard to ignore when you find out that Tim Burton has worked on it you at least want to go and see what like what does this look like like what what kind of twisted thing has he come out with now um, sort of I, he's yeah. kind of like that weird kid in high school that like you, you know <laughs> you, you kind of avoid him but you can't look away and he's very much uh, yeah. he's very much like a like a crew and actors director as well yeah. like like they people love working with him clearly because these people a lot of these collaborators keep coming back and back think like even someone like Danny Elfman um mm-hmm. and i've i've read so much stuff about how uh, Michael Keaton and Winona Ryder, they always wanted to do a Beetlejuice 2, but they would never do one without um, without Tim Burton, and the studio wanted to do it without him at points, too, so there's been a lot of clash there, because he definitely puts his crew first and the studio second, as we can see with these movies, you know, how some of them are just completely wacky, and clearly he fights for his directorial ambitions uh even hearing stories about wednesday on how because he didn't like i said he didn't direct all the episodes and uh and jenna ortega really really liked working with him so much so that she started going back on people when these other directors when they're like oh it's okay like 
uh, like we can do that take. She's like, no, no, like Wednesday can't blink. I blinked in that take. We can't do it. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh no, that's fine. She's like, no, no. Tim said I can't blink. I can't blink. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I, 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 I really like stories like that where it shows like, yeah, mm-hmm. this guy is a little crazy, but he is just the weird kid in, in high school. You know, he just he has a vision and he wants, uh, and he has he does a really good job of getting people to latch onto that vision and say like, yes, I also want to be part of this. And it's so interesting that he is so heavily tied with Disney. Like, I I didn't yeah. know that when I was a kid because uh, Nightmare Before Christmas was originally put out by Touchstone Pictures, which uh, is basically an arm of Disney that I didn't know. Like, you didn't know that as a kid. No. Um, that Touchstone was Disney. But basically, it was everything that I think it was during the Michael Eisner era of Disney. But they wanted to do uh, more mature stuff, almost like Nintendo putting out the GameCube, trying to be more mm. mature. Disney was trying to do the same thing. Touchstone is, is Disney's uh, GameCube, basically. <laughs> uh, but they wanted to put out a bunch of uh, mature movies um, without kind of being like, oh, you know, Disney's the friendly go, you know, happy-go-lucky brand, but we don't want to scare people. Like, they put out other movies like Armageddon, uh, Good Morning Vietnam, and of course, Nightmare Before Christmas, and that's where uh, that's where this movie was categorized under. Up until quite recently, actually, Disney did not touch Nightmare Before Christmas. Like, you didn't see the Disney brand on it until no. the late 2000s, and then you started to see Jack Skellington and Sally at Disney parks. They started to rebrand the Haunted Mansion rides at Halloween Kingdom in the Nightmare Hearts Before Christmas too. theme. Kingdom Hearts as well. Yeah, you started to see that with the Disney crossover. That's relatively recently. Uh, yep. When I was a kid, yep. Nightmare Before Christmas was not a Disney franchise, and no. it's so funny how Tim Burton is tied with Disney in that he clearly hates making sequels, <laughs> except for Batman. Yeah. And Disney is the most sequel-heavy, addicted <laughs> company on the planet. Like you can imagine that if they had t- if they had made Nightmare Before Christmas in let's say 2011, we would have 16 Nightmare Before Christmas movies by now and a Disney Plus TV show. Yep. And it's not for lack of trying too. Like I love hearing stories about you know over the last 30 years, there's been like. You know, they've asked Tim Burton and Henry Selleck, do you guys want to make a sequel? And they keep saying, no, no, no. Like they, Disney has come out with a, there was a graphic novel at one point, I believe, based around Sally. There's, like you said before, a video game that we've talked about. Um, but, and I think in the 2010s or so, they, they talked about making an animated sequel, like a fully CG animated sequel, kind of like the uh, Illumination style. And they said no to that. Mm-hmm. I think now, like again, like every every five years, it's like the Sonic cycle. Every five years or so, <laughs> there's a rumor of a new uh, Nightmare Before Christmas thing in the works, you know, based around Thanksgiving or Easter or St. Patty's Day. And yeah. uh, it keeps getting shut down. Um, and it's so funny, like all of his big things like Beetlejuice, it, that was 88 and it's now 2024. We're going to be seeing the sequel to that. Like that is so weird. Um, and awesome and you're right he does tie himself to a lot of major people in the industry like we've said before Johnny Depp and in this movie we had Chris Sarandon Catherine O'Hara who's a Canadian icon Mm -hmm. uh, William Hickey Glenn Shaddix Paul Rubens and Ken Page and of course Danny Elfman who makes every Tim Burton film just stand out so heavily the music in this in this movie and all of Tim Burton and Danny Elfman's movies are all great. The music is never the issue in any of these films. And Nightmare Before Christmas is such a banger of a soundtrack. The soundtrack was actually written before the film script was, uh, which is awesome. Basically, mm-hmm. Tim Burton was going to Danny Elfman while he was making the film, being like, here's an idea for a scene. And it was like Jack Skellington in Christmastown. And then Danny Elfman would write, what's this? And then yep. he's like, okay, cool. We're going to base the script around that song. <gasps> and that's how they made the movie, which is so cool. It's like the opposite of how I feel like kids' movies are made today, where I feel like that the story is made. And then for the most part, kids' films, the soundtracks are all just music like Ed Sheeran yeah. and, and Lady Gaga and and Katy Perry songs like the Trolls films or whatever like there's no there's not nearly the same amount of heart except for the odd Disney movie 
no soundtracks are like this anymore in kids' films, and it's so cool. And I love Danny Elfman. I love the fact that he sings in the movie too, as mm-hmm. Jack Skellington. Uh, you're of course a music aficionado, Mike. What do you think of the Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack? A loaded question, I know. Oh, I mean, it's one of the best soundtracks ever. And I, I think what's important, like you were talking about, how a lot of kids' movies and stuff like that doesn't get that kind of treatment today, where it's almost backwards in terms of the songs come first and then the uh, then the plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, for this one, it it makes sense because, like we said at the at the beginning with the genres it is a musical this is a uh, a children's musical dark fantasy whatever you want to call it uh, film and mm-hmm. we don't get very many actual musical uh like like true musical uh films like you could argue that something like frozen has a bit of that but like there's uh there's still a lot of just talking in frozen like there's there's mm-hmm. like the couple of songs and then it's like 60 minutes of talking and then a couple songs again <laughs> where this is mostly uh, everything's mostly communicated through music in some way yep. in the 70 minutes of this uh uh of this movie like Chris Randon um he does uh, Jack's voice when he's talking not singing uh that's when Danny Elfman comes in uh but Chris honestly doesn't have a lot to do he doesn't talk without singing that much in the movie even mm-hmm. when he's kind of like there's a lot of times in the songs where it's a bit slower and he's kind of talk singing that's still Danny Elfman uh, sing, yeah. uh, singing so Danny had to do a lot of work he had to actually do so much work that he did ha- experience a mental breakdown while he was um, while he was creating this and because he was also still in his band Oingo Boingo great ska yeah. band should definitely check them <laughs> out uh, so he uh, he he had a, like a minor falling out with Tim Burton at one point and then they were all back together again uh, if you want more information about the whole process of it I highly recommend you watch uh, the movies that made us on Netflix uh, with mm. uh, and the episode of Nightmare Before Christmas it's really interesting it's um, it's kind of enlightening on on just how kind of vicious the, the the industry is sometimes too but uh, I would highly recommend it because that that gives you more than we could ever do on this uh, on this episode because it's you know talking to the people who made it but uh, mm-hmm. Neil I think it's time we we go into the plot of this movie and and talk about uh, everything that's going on and we can we can do it but with with the songs and everything too we won't sing them but you know <laughs> no 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 we won't do that but uh, yeah we can go through the plot it's uh, it's it's funny because the plot of the film like there's not that many scenes in the film per se like there's maybe f- like seven or eight in total like it feels like that the movie is yeah. very it's very well paced obviously it has to be because it, it took so long to make this movie it took three years yeah. uh, over a hundred animators and everything just taking like i said before thousands of photos a week basically to get this movie made but it starts off on halloween basically halloween night mm-hmm. and uh, we get the the opening track of the uh of the movie uh which is this is halloween a classic favorite classic uh song and we get to meet all basically you meet all the characters in the film minus the christmas characters uh all within the first two minutes yep. and you're introduced to of course jack skellington and the mayor and sally and the vampires and everybody else um and then it gets into a very relatable uh part of the film actually very quickly and it's something that i did not understand as a kid uh, but now as an adult i can kind of sympathize with and it's basically the issue that jack is uh going through is that he's very jaded about his job basically yeah (laughs) um he's basically like you know tired of the same old thing he's very successful at what he does he's very good at what he does but he wants something different he wants something more and he doesn't know what that is and he's basically got depression for the most part it's a it's a very it's it's something that i did not understand as a kid at first i was just like oh cool skeletons vampires werewolves (laughs) um but as an adult i'm like wow this guy this guy Need some therapy. <laughs> it's I know, a really right? cool, really cool opening. 
Oh, it's one of the best openings in any movie that I can think of, like, especially animated. The way that they just instantly take you into this world, I thought was mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. Um, that was one thing that watching it again, I kind of forgot how hard that opening hits and does such a good job of uh, when they're playing This Is Halloween. Such a great track. That's my personal favorite. I think that's the most iconic track for sure that comes from this. It's um, it's melody is a motif throughout this uh, uh, throughout this movie as well that uh, that Danny Elfman has in, in the orchestra as things are going on. Sometimes there's a, this is Halloween that's a bit brighter. Sometimes it's a bit darker. I don't know if you noticed that, Neil, but uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of always playing in the background, which I thought was really cool. Uh, the way that they have the voices too in that and just like uh, something about the recording of that song is is so pristine. And I don't know what it is, but I, I love hearing it. I think all the different voices that they have with the different characters while they're singing just makes for this like weird dissonant harmony is like the best way I could think about it. Right. Just mm-hmm. it's like these notes that feel like they shouldn't go together, but yeah. they do. But that's a Danny Elfman special, right. Is, is yeah. a constant dissonance, but you're like, Oh, this actually does work. Like the Simpsons theme is of, of course a, a Danny Elfman, uh, uh, original composition. One of the weirdest songs you'll ever try and play uh, the chords make no sense. They're really weird. It's a bunch of like sus chords. So that means like if you're playing it on a piano uh, or even a guitar, but you're you're playing really close together with your fingers. So you're playing a bunch of notes that shouldn't sound good together. Uh, oh, interesting. And uh, they weirdly work because Danny Elfman thinks of everything as not just being played on one instrument, but being, being played by dozens. And you definitely experience that with This Is Halloween, where everything has a has a part to play. And even the characters who have the, their one or two lines have a very important part to play. And every instrument in that song, too, I'm pretty sure is out of key. Like, that's yeah. the other thing, too, is like every every chord is weird and every note, like every string sounds that's odd. A like every, yeah. Yeah. Everything seems off. But the the singing is all very upbeat. Like the characters are all very they're all dead and weird looking, but they're all so happy to be doing what they're doing. It's, yeah. it's very strange. And what's crazy is that you can watch that movie and understand what everything is, too. Like, yeah. another thing about modern movies now, I feel like that everything needs explaining or like, what the hell is this character? <laughs> what is this species? Like, there's so much lore. I feel like you watch Nightmare Before Christmas and you know exactly what everything is because everything is based on common fears that you read about in storybooks or you had yourself as a kid, like the monster under the stairs, the shadow on the moon, the wind. Like, it's all just classic fairy tale fears that kids had as a, when you were young and then you grow up and you finally see them on screen and you know exactly what everything is that monster under the drain and the, the sharpened teeth and everything else it, it's so cool uh how they just i can't imagine how many character designs they went through oh, for man. that opening scene it must have been hundreds like like i can i love tim burton concept art there's a lot of stuff out there and everything that you ever see is so interesting but um, we get to meet some of the characters after that opening track. Uh, you get to meet the mayor, who's actually one of my personal favorites Me in the too. movie. I, I love the two-faced mayor. He's yeah. so funny. <laughs> um, but uh, I guess after that, basically, you also meet Zero, too, his dog, who's a very mm-hmm. interesting character. Um, but you get we get to see the um, one of the coolest sets in the entire film in the first two minutes, honestly, and it's the graveyard with the classic uh, curled mountain in front of the moon. It's yep. iconic. It's one of the most iconic film sets of all time. Um, and then after that part in the movie, I guess it, it 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 moves pretty quick. Is that when Jack basically walks off into Christmas Town after that? Yeah, he walks off. Well, he walks off alone with Zero, uh, and he just he just I guess walks for too long that he like reaches 
the uh, the area he, of the doors. He glitches out of his own map. That's basically, basically what happens. Yeah, <laughs> and he really, he reaches the the uh, Mario sixty four uh, <laughs> painting area of choosing what world to go into, um, and he jumps into well. And well, what's funny is actually you see all the different holidays uh, marked on the doors, and they yep. have the St. Patrick's Day. There's Easter. There's Thanksgiving. There's Christmas. Obviously. Uh, and then he's in Halloween. Uh, I think that might be all of them. Um, but, uh, he jumps into Christmas uh, We're uh, marked with a Christmas tree, uh, mm-hmm. jumps into Christmas town. And, and that's when, what's this, what's this, what's this? Uh, pl- uh, starts playing, which is maybe the second most iconic song I would say in, yep. the, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, it, it's one of my favorites. It's definitely This is Halloween and What's This for sure. Yeah. Uh, just going back there real quick to that mm. circle of trees. That's definitely where Disney was like, okay, sequels, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and Tim Burton's like, no, no, no. And one. Um, but I, I heard that, uh, that that there's one brief moment in the movie where uh, that's actually the hardest scene that the animators had to film was that scene. And it's the, um, the reflection of Jack on the doorknob, the golden doorknob when he's about to turn oh. it. That was apparently the most difficult thing for them to film, uh, just because the, just to get the reflection just right yeah. uh, with the character and everything, because it's all filmed on that little gold ball. Um, that was the hardest thing to do, and it's literally a second. Um, oh but yeah, him falling into Christmas Town was so neat. Again, you need no explanation of where he is and and what's going on. You know, it's it's Santa's village, and he's dancing around discovering discovering Christmas for the first time. Like it's really funny to see that this person who's you know just been depressed doing the same old same old in this depressing town basically sees light and color for the first time and his uh his reaction to that is uh i need to steal this and it's really the story that tim burton was getting at which is the anti-grinch that's basically what he was trying to do yeah and that instead of the grinch stealing christmas from everyone he's trying to provide it for everyone he thinks he can do it or he sees so much how much joy that this brings to other people how much joy it brought him and he wants to bring it to his town that he came from that has no concept of it and he wants to bring it to the rest of the world too. They never really explain how they get from these towns to the real world. Um, yeah, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> and does Christmas Town have a tree with the Halloween town on it? Because he just walked into an area with seven trees. Is there a, is there one of those in every... There's a whole system of transportation in uh, in The Nightmare Before Christmas that needs more explaining, but they didn't have much time to, to do that. No, and I, I think that's one of the, be- the, the great things about this is that they don't hit you over the head with anything they let you they let your imagination run wild which i really like because even Mm -hmm. as a kid i remember watching this and having similar kind of questions like oh what's this like is is this related to this (laughs) like what's going on in christmas town is there st patrick's town we see the easter bunny uh show up when lock stock and barrel come and and take um accidentally get the wrong guy they they don't know what santa claus looks like or sorry Mm -hmm. sandy claus uh and uh they they Bring uh bring the Easter Bunny who's uh, super scared. He's just like, oh my god, where am I? I'm in this like town of <laughs> of all these skulls and everything. And that that's one thing that I find too. It's funny that Disney even greenlit this because Disney loves their black and white in terms of good and evil. Right? We gotta mm-hmm. be super clear of like who's the good guy, who's the bad guy here. And in this movie, especially the first half, you don't really understand why Jack is steal. Like it seems like he's stealing Christmas. But mm-hmm. he's also like the good guy. And yeah. so as a kid, you're kind of confused, which is, in my opinion, I like that because it shows that not everything's black and white. Like some people just want to do things for different reasons uh, and don't have, you know, ulterior motives. Like Jack Skeleton really just wants to take Christmas and bring it to Halloween town because he thinks it's cool. Like that's all mm-hmm. it is. It's not some grand motivated plot. And even with the big bad, with Oogie, Oogie Boogie, like he, mm-hmm. he doesn't have a a grand mechanism, a grand plot of what he wants to do. He's just a bad guy. 
And it's just um, bad, the mustache twirling bad guy. Yeah, yeah. Exa- exactly. So I, I I like that it kind of subverts expe- expectations there, especially with Disney movies. But this is mm-hmm. what Disney was doing at the time. You know, this think of like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. A lot of gray yeah. areas there, right? Another and, Touchstone uh, movie. Another Touchstone movie. There you go. And so mm-hmm. they they were they were having success with this kind of, I guess like you could call it just these dark undertones in movies and and having a, a lot more gray areas and until Little Mermaid came out, they're like, okay, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then it was all full steam ahead on the kids stuff for yeah. sure. Um. But yeah, the uh the movie uh I I like the next part of the movie is when he brings Christmas Town bits and like basically like he just came back from tour. And he's like, or like a vacation. He comes back with like his sled with like all the Halloween town or Christmas town stuff. But um, it's a really funny scene actually, where the whole town is looking for him because he's he's missing for literally two hours, and and yeah. they basically call call like an entire citywide search for him. It's really funny, and uh, like how everything just falls apart. And it makes me wonder actually about again the, the politics around uh, Halloween town here, which is I never understood this even as a kid. So they've got their mayor, is Jack? He's the king of Pumpkin Town. So is 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 it a monarchy? Like, is he, like, a royal blood? Yeah, uh, he's what? the pumpkin king, but it mm-hmm. seems like... Yeah, I, I mean, maybe it's some constitutional monarchy kind of thing. I think so. Uh, because I do love how uh, the, the mayor has maybe my favorite line in the movie, uh, yep. which is... I think uh, it's the same as mine. Oh, I'm sure it is. <laughs> where, uh, where he says that, uh, I'm, an, I'm only an elected <laughs> official here. I can't make <laughs> decisions by myself. <laughs> I was just saying that to my wife the other day. That is my favorite line in the entire movie. And again, I did not understand that as a kid. No. Watched it as an adult, and I laughed my ass off at that. I thought that was hilarious. I mean, even the two-facedness, right, is like <laughs> exactly. this is supposed to symbolize him as a politician, right, where he only has two faces, an angry, uh, or, yep. or not even angry, a horrified. Worried. Yeah, yeah. worried, horrified, and just uh, uncomfortably happy are his uh, <laughs> are his two faces, which I absolutely love. I I. I see that figure all the time. Do you have that figure? Did I get, I got you a figure at some point. Was it that? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to post it on the Instagram, uh, on the Instagrams, uh, for this episode. Cause I have a complete set. It was in grade 12 when I was really, I got really into nightmare before Christmas in 2010. Again, you know, uh, and uh, giant tiger, which is like a weird discount department store, uh, in Canada. Uh, and they were selling a bunch of basically Nightmare Before Christmas figurines for really cheap at the time, like four, four bucks each, five bucks each. And they're really high detailed. Um, and they're basically like assembly, like you would assemble them and you'd get like little pieces of Jack Skellington. You put them together, you'd get the, um, the, uh, Oogie Boogie kids and you'd get Oogie Boogie and Sally and Dr. Finkelstein and, uh. I think the mayor as well. And I guess you got that for me. Everybody basically got me them for my birthday because they knew I was collecting them. And I have the entire set in my parents' basement. I got to go get it and take pictures for the Instagram. Yeah. But yeah, that's, I, I do have that as well. And it's a really cool little uh, little diorama of Nightmare Before Christmas somewhere in my parents' house. Um, but yeah, that scene is terrific where he's looking for Jack and then they're all looking for him. And he shows up and shows them uh, Christmas Town. There's another song there, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not making Christmas. I forget the title of that song is now uh it's uh it's on the tip of my tongue anyway i like the i like when he's showing everybody christmas and basically he's coming up with this idea to turn halloween town into santa's village so that they can make christmas for the rest of the world and he's assigning everybody jobs which i thought was really funny like uh giving the the street buskers like christmas carols to learn and the vampires learning how to make toys get like little baby dolls and stuff like that um sally had the like the seamstress job to make uh to make the santa claus outfit the sandy claus outfit as they were calling him uh and the oogie boogie kids were called on to um 
to steal Santa, which is uh, really funny. I don't know why he didn't just do it himself while he was there. Um, yeah, but seems he's delegating. You know, he's uh, and yeah, and and he you know he even tells them not to tell Oogie Boogie, and then they they do. He clearly knew that these kids were up to no good, like, and they mm-hmm. they are pretty incompetent. Uh, but I do love their little dialogues back and forth. It's super super quick wit and i mean this whole movie is mm-hmm. like 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 all the dialogue is super fast it's hard to keep up with it It almost feels like a don rickles for kids like sometimes it's very like, well written though very uh, extremely well written i mean even the lyrics for the songs are so well written where it's you miss a lot and you only pick up what, uh, one or two things sometimes but you'll be like oh yeah that's that's i love that um but we haven't even really talked about you mentioned her but we haven't talked about the other main character in this uh in this great film which is sally who is mm-hmm. basically a Frankenstein, uh, but like a, a, a from I forget the the doctor's name, Doctor uh, Finkelstein. Yeah, he he created uh, he created Sally. Uh, he is kind of supposed to be made to look like uh, Doctor Strangelove. Uh, same same hair, same glasses, and everything. Although he's like a duck, kind of not sure. Yeah, <laughs> not sure what went on in his gene pool, but he's he's something. Uh, and Sally is constantly poisoning him and uh, <laughs> leaving to see the big wide world because she's always stuck in his little uh, laboratory. And uh, I, she's, of course, voiced by Catherine O'Hara. Uh, and uh, S- Sally is a, is a great character. I love seeing her because she's not like a, a classic damsel in distress character. She's not like a just uh, a, like, a, uh, what do you call it? I can't think of the word. Mary Sue? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, she's 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 here. She actually tries to warn Jack multiple times. Jack, uh, he's too caught up in his own deeds, and he's just like, no, 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 just just knit me this uh, this uh, uh, this Santa Claus outfit. You're you're good at, at uh, sewing because Knitting. she does have to uh, sew herself back together constantly. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's a great character. I always thought as a kid that uh, Sally was voiced by um, the uh, the one eyed girl from Futurama. Uh, what's the actress's name? I don't. I I can't remember her name now. Well, Leela. Leela is the but Leela. Uh, yeah, the actress's name. Oh my god. Uh, hold I, on. I, I I'm gonna die yeah. if I can't figure this one out. Yeah. Leela Futurama. It's she's from Married with Children. Um, yes. Uh, Katie Seagal. Katie Seagal. Thank you so much. Yeah. She. I always thought it was her. I didn't know it was Catherine O'Hara because I only knew Catherine O'Hara as a kid as the mom from uh, Home Alone, and that was basically it. I uh, didn't True. really see much of her stuff until way later. And like she's fantastic, she's so damn funny. Yeah. Um. And she's really good in this one. She she doesn't have as much to do as uh, like Tim Burton and like Jack Skellington and everything. She, I like all of her scenes of like basically poisoning her boss. It's like yeah. very much a Seinfeld <laughs> thing. She's always making him food and poisoning him and like putting him to sleep. Like so he's always knocked out. And he's a really funny character too, Doctor Finkelstein. Uh, he's like the the town genius. He creates the flying reindeer for Jack, which is which is really cool. Um, but she has like a little secret kind of crush on Jack. Uh, that part of the movie, watching it again as an adult, as a kid, I always thought that it was much more prominent, their kind of love story. It's not. Like, no, they really yeah. don't have any scenes together except for, I think, the one where he's telling her to make him a suit and then their song together at the end. They have, and then her, of course, explaining to Jack that he shouldn't be doing this. This is a bad idea. She's kind of the only voice of reason throughout the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and And then at the very end, they're kind of together. I always thought, I realized recently that that was kind of not really well sort of explained and then like when you when you hear a lot about you know nightmare before christmas now and all the fan art it's a lot of jack and sally together like they're this kind of big disney couple and they're really not at least not in the movie um but yeah she's she's a really neat character and i I have heard that from the animators that she was uh not difficult to animate but just interesting because she had basically no 
center of gravity because she's very much like she's got no bones, right? She's made True. of leaves and, and thread. Um, so she kind of does waddle a lot. Like she's almost walking around like she's drunk. So they said, you know, she was very, very fun to animate because she didn't really have any specific like hard, fast rule on how to make her move. Whereas a character like Oogie Boogie Man, who we'll get to soon, uh, he was the most difficult to animate because he's a shapeless blob. Yeah. So they really <laughs> didn't know how to like structure him in scenes. And he's just a bag of, <laughs> of bugs. Um, and it's like, what do we do with this character? Um, so yeah, I, I like Sally. She's got a really cool aesthetic. I love, I love her look. I like the stitches in her face and her dress is faded and, and put together by a bunch of other dresses basically over the years. They look so cool together, Jack and Sally. Very neat pair. Oh yeah. And, uh, we can live like Jack and Sally. We can have Halloween mm-hmm. and Christmas, Neil. Blink-182 reference for you there. Mm-hmm. There we go. That's why we <laughs> talked about them at the beginning of this. Um, right? But then we get to the next scene in the movie, I suppose we can jump to, is when uh, everything's coming together, Christmas is coming together now, and we get probably the third most popular song in the movie, which is Making Christmas, yep. I would say. Oh, yeah. Making yeah. Christmas. This is another cool one. Again, it's it's all the characters that we've met up to this point, basically, and they're making common toys, and but they're, they're putting a, a very much a... This is very much Tim Burton putting a Tim Burton twist on everyday things and again i know this movie is not made by tim burton but it's just fun to watch them make toys but add a kind of a twisted horrific twist to them i know i i i think that's such a great part of it where it's like mm-hmm. again that gray area it's like this jack skull this the scary looking guy is trying to do something nice but he literally doesn't know what nice is is basically yeah. what the whole thing is here right because Christmas is not his holiday. It's uh, Halloween is his holiday. And so he mm-hmm. tries. Um, and I do love what, like when you're watching them make these toys and who he's delegating <laughs> to make certain toys to is is pretty funny of uh, of like you kind of know as an adult when you're watching it, you, you kind of know how it's going to turn out. But as a kid, you're like, oh, that's cool. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's very relatable feeling, though. Like, you know, you have good intentions, but you're just doing it yeah. horribly. Right. Like yeah. it's something that a lot of people could could experience and it's funny this song i've worked in retail christmas retail specifically for the better part of 15 years now uh in food and uh, mm-hmm. i always hum this to myself like at christmas time <laughs> when i'm like putting together a christmas order of some kind or whatever and i'm always thinking like i'm usually exhausted and tired and this song comes to my mind because it's like even when i'm exhausted i'm on you know six hours sleep getting up at four in the morning to be at work for six and i'm working 12 hours i'm just like making christmas making it's a really <laughs> just this drone of a song i don't know why that song comes to me when i'm tired at christmas time but it does it's such a cool song i, I like that one um and then after that we basically get the um the big scene in the movie where we finally get to see the result of jack's dream of putting together christmas in halloween town and he's delivering uh, presents around the globe, quote unquote. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how many houses he ends up getting to, but uh, I love the reaction. It's one of my favorite scenes in the entire film oh, yeah. is uh, him delivering all of the toys and meeting some of the kids too, because yeah. uh, they wake up and see him and then their reaction on Christmas morning. My, my my brother and sister and I, we used to watch that scene and just rewind it and play it over and over again just to watch like the fat kid running away from like the giant, what, snake or something, or the kid running away from like the wreath and the the, the yeah. duck and the, the flying ghoul and everything else it's such a funny scene when the kid pulls out the head of the pre- <laughs> uh, out of the present that is one of my favorite scenes uh that's one of the ones i immediately remembered as a kid uh and i was waiting for that scene i was like when does that come up i'm like oh yeah here it is so. <laughs> yeah we used to think that like one of the kids looked like one of my cousins it's like the, oh. it's the the sandworm from which is a reference to beetlejuice the uh yes. the black and yellow worm it's yeah. from beetlejuice it's like eating his tree yeah. And he's just shrieking. His hair is like standing <laughs> on edge. Like you can see his belly hanging out of his shirt. We're like, oh, there's our cousin. Like it was just because he looked like him as a kid. 
um, <laughs> that's that's seen it. and like the cops are getting involved like the there's like radio like they're like radioing in police from around the world and eventually the military the american military get involved and they're like firing missiles at Jack Skellington in the sky. Uh, it's it's a really like, it's dark and it's 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 sad and everything like that. But it's it's just really funny, like how you really it's so easy it's so funny how easily you suspend your disbelief for an hour, and right. despite none of this making sense, everything makes sense at the same time. And I love, like, one thing I noticed was that they don't show the adults. Did you notice that? Uh, oh, yeah, just neck down. Yeah, yeah, neck down. And I, the only thing I could assume for that one is that it would be quite difficult to uh, stop motion animate uh, these adults who are talking. Because they do show some adults, but they're never talking, which I noticed. So I think mm-hmm. it was just a really a limitation of uh, of not wanting to animate these uh these adults and i'm sure someone was like why don't we just uh show them neck down and uh because they have like the police officer is covered by like the police sign so you see his chin a couple times move into the frame but you never see him fully uh the person on the the news uh uh just you just see her her body as well she's covered by something i forget what what's covering her uh it's like her microphone i think was oh yeah her, her yeah face. yeah sorry she's in the yeah. radio it's on the radio yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, like I, I think that's just a really funny thing. It just someone who is from a creative field and has to like deal with time constraints and and just cutting corners a lot sometimes. As soon as they saw that, I'm like, oh yeah, I know what they did here. <laughs> they need mm, to get this yeah. movie done. <laughs> so they're like, all right, let's just not animate these people, uh, and we'll just put something in front of them. I'm totally fine with that. Like they, they did such a good job on the Halloween yeah. characters and they did a great job on Santa's elves who honestly look just as creepy as anything in Halloween town. Yeah. Um, they <laughs> did a good job animating Santa and, and all the other like weird animals. Like I mentioned before zero. And I think Sally is supposed to have like a black cat, but I can't tell if it's the same cat or just like a cat that just randomly shows up. It's but a cat. Anyway, it's a cat. Um, but yeah, you're probably right. I think animating the humans was, they focused mostly on the children, which as makes the most sense as they should. I, I just like the thought of like a, a, a cop, car coming around your neighborhood saying christmas is canceled like, yeah. <laughs> what the hell is going on here christmas has to be canceled, this, canceled year. this year but like it's fun to see like all the adults like locking their doors like i don't think you ever see a, a gun in the movie but like they're they turn up the fireplace and yeah. everything they're like closing the shutters i think seeing like a shotgun by a door would be hilarious um <laughs> but uh you do see the military shoot jack skellington out of the sky first they blow up a few of his reindeer which i felt honestly like i, I feel it when an animal dies yeah in me too and, even seeing those skeleton reindeer, I know they've only been alive for a few days. I still <laughs> felt bad for him. Me too. Uh, and then Jack falls out of the sky. He falls into some sort of a graveyard um, somewhere in a, in a small town, I suppose. And mm-hmm. we hear Jack's lament, which is a song that as a kid, I didn't really understand or really care about because it's a slow song. But as an adult, this actually became one of my more favorite songs. I almost said on the record in the movie. Um, I love the lyrics in this one. I like uh, basically it's his internal monologue. This would just be like an internal monologue scene basically in a, yeah. in a regular movie. But as a song, it's so cool about how him just kind of being once again back to the depression that he was feeling at the beginning of the movie, but then sort of feeling um, a bit of like accomplishment that at least he tried, like he did his best and he's going to he's going to try and do do good and fix everything that he did wrong and and set things straight again and it's a really neat song really musically very cool it starts off like a slow piano very somber and then it get grows into like this big big band bombastic sounding song it's really cool oh it's one of my favorites uh, i mean honestly like there are no misses for the songs no. on this and on in this soundtrack and the lyrics themselves are great like there's so much work put into this and and danny elfman uh, will say it time and time again but like wow like he I mean, this is really his masterpiece, in my opinion. Like, he just absolutely killed it 
uh, creating this uh, this, and then he he had to sing it too. Like it's it's one thing to be the composer for this stuff. Yeah, it's another thing to to put on a really great performance as Jack. Like I I think that is no small feat at all. It's very much like the Phil Collins with Tarzan. Like, all right, it's a story about a, a man with monkeys. And <laughs> Phil Collins been like, got it. It's very much Danny Elfman. Like, all right, it's about a skeleton who is trying to make Christmas. He's like, got it. Got it. <laughs> and he understood the assignment and blew it all out of the water. And then uh, I love how the graveyard has like a little door. Like he goes through one of the tombs and that leads back into Halloween Town. I like how the real world has hidden passageways into the mm-hmm. into the holiday worlds. I think that that's really neat. Because as a kid, like you kind of, you sort of come up with those ideas in your head too, right? Like you, you see you know, haunted houses and, you know, Christmas, like obviously with Santa with the chimney and everything else. Like, it's really neat how they tied all of those fairy tales into the movie as well. Uh, this is the portion of the film where we really get to meet the um, the antagonist of the, uh, of the movie, which is Oogie Boogie, um, who's a really cool character. I love him as a kid. He was really funny. Um, he's, uh, the Oogie Boogie's kids, uh, they kidnapped Santa a while ago and they brought them brought him to Oogie Boogie, which Jack, of course, specifically told them not to. Um, And he's basically like this gambling, again, mustache twirling mob boss, I guess is the best way I can describe him. And he just gambles with people's lives, basically. Um, And I I love the set in this one. It reminds me of like a glow in the dark mini golf course. It's all black lights and neon lights and everything. Very much like a casino. Um, it's, he's got like a roulette wheel and a craps mm. table and he's just, he's just basically playing, he's just gambling with Santa's life, even though he's basically trying to kill Santa and eventually Sally as well. And, uh, he's got another terrific song, uh, you're joking, which is really funny. Yeah. Um, I love this whole scene. Uh, and Oogie Boogie is a terrific villain that was basically thrown in, in the last 15 minutes of the film i think he does not have a lot of screen time that's for sure no he just really appears as the shadow on the moon he you hear him a couple times but but uh uh, you don't really fully see him until like near the very end of the movie and also uh it's funny it's it's really funny that we're we're doing this nightmare before christmas at the end of our halloween uh month or spooky month uh, that we've had going in october because in a lot of ways, Nightmare Before Christmas is a combination of My Chemical Romance's Black Parade and Grim Fandango, uh, mm. <laughs> which is which is really funny that it worked out this way because one, I think of the scene kidness of, of MCR and the Hot Topic, all that kind of stuff that we were talking about earlier. But the Grim Fandango side is definitely the really weird ass design characters and and this the spookiness, but also being like that that cheerfulness at the same time, and then the uh, Oogie Boogie with the casino stuff that instantly made me think of uh, Grim Fandango because a big part of Grim Fandango is the gambling that happens uh, throughout uh, whether it's in uh, Manny's casino that he has or with uh, with uh, Domino and uh, the the big bad Hector uh, they all ha- and Maximino they all have their casinos and so that's a very much like underlying thing going on and the music is very similar in uh, for that song uh, as Grim Fandango with the horns with like the the big band kind of style mm-hmm. as well like I loved that so much I thought that was so cool I'm like yeah we didn't even plan for this but it, it all works together <laughs> <laughs> and Ken Page is is such a good choice of it like I don't know who you could have picked better honestly I can't imagine a single person doing better than than Ken Page maybe Jack Black if they had to do it again but even then like I don't think he would do as good a job that deep booming voice that Broadway jazzy style uh sound that he has he's so iconic as that character I can't imagine really any of these characters switching voice actors at this point it's they've just become so synonymous with with their characters but he he does it so well and uh he's a great just force to be reckoned with and I love the um 
the video game that we can talk about now, I guess, a little bit, at least the one on Game Boy Advance, that one I've played. Um, I think it's called Oogie's Revenge, yes, uh, something like is. that, But which is weird because it takes place before the no, movie, if that, I remember correctly. That one's after. There's another game, Neil. There's two games. Okay. There's okay. The Pumpkin King. Uh, gotcha. which takes place before and is a prequel and Oogie's Revenge takes place after somehow Oogie has uh, Darth Sidious himself and uh, and come back gotcha. from the dead and uh, you have to take care of him. But yeah, the Pumpkin King is the one that I guess you play that is the prequel. Uh, yes, I have played the Pumpkin King. Yeah, you're right. I just looked it up now. I recognize the box art and it's on Game Boy Advance. So yeah, that basically explains uh, why Oogie Boogie's kind of been banished from Halloween Town. Um, you're kind of going after him. I can't remember the story exactly now. It's been like five years since I've played it, but I liked it a lot. It was It's basically like a Castlevania-style game and because nice. uh, you don't really, you never really understand in the movie what, what's this guy done? What did he do? Why is nope. he bad? Um, and it's it's fun to explore that in the, the two video games, obviously. But that's one thing that I was thinking about with this movie is that are all the people in Halloween Town supposed to be dead people or are they uh, just characters and this is like kind of their their lot in life because there, there's that mm. classic tim burton theory i don't know if you've heard this mike but basically Ooh. that frankenweenie <laughs> leads to corpse bride so the boy from frankenweenie is the man in corpse bride which the man from corpse bride is then jack skellington and know. the the only main uh i guess theme throughout all the movies is that he has a dog and like the dog from frankenweenie is I believe you you find a dead dog in uh, Corpus Bride because uh, when he goes into the underworld, there's this uh, skeleton dog, which is basically supposed to be Frankenweenie, and now he has zero in the afterlife. So it's a really cool tie together. Uh, I don't know if it's true or if it's ever been confirmed, but um, I always thought about that. Like, are all the people in this town dead? I like that theory a lot because Frankenweenie was actually the first thing that Tim Burton did. Like, like mm-hmm. the like not the Frankenweenie that we we know, but uh, there the story. is yeah the story and there is a, like a uh, animated short. I've never seen it, uh, but they he did do a like a ten minute animated short of Frankenweenie that he ended up uh, much later making the movie out of. But uh, so mm-hmm. that would that would maybe check out. I'm gonna I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna think about that. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that now. It's like that the Pixar theory where everything's yes. connected. It's exactly the same thing as that. Exactly. Yeah. I love that theory. I remember hearing that, I think in high school and I was like, whoa. And then I remembered I hadn't seen Frank and Weenie yet. So I had to go check that out, but still very, very cool. But uh, anyway, they uh, really quickly kind of get rid of uh, Oogie Boogie. He was, his downfall was a uh, a dangling thread that got caught on his machine and ripped him apart. And we discovered that the inside of him was uh, all bugs. He was completely made of bugs. That would be absolutely terrifying if you found out somebody, you know, somebody you've been interacting with is all just, you know, worms and stuff. But (sighs) anyway, uh, they send Santa back to his Christmas town to go fix Christmas, which of course he does, because as he says in the film, I'm Santa Claus. I do like that Santa is just like, when he talks to Jack, uh, like near the end there, before he goes back, it's not like this, like, oh yeah, you know, like, like now I'm going to make Christmas good. Like everything's great. He's, he's pissed off. He's yeah. like, he's like, what the hell, man? Like, what did you do? Like now I have to go back and, and fix this. But it's very real. Like it reminds me of like, yeah. how, like some, sometimes you have an interaction with somebody in life, either due to work or the social situation and you depart not liking each other. But like, yep. it's kind of like you stay in your lane. I'm going to stay in my lane. Goodbye. And then yeah. like he kind of touch it, rubs his nose or whatever it is that Santa does. And he goes back up the, uh, the chimney that he got shoved down, um, unceremoniously to get put into Oogie Boogie's lair. 
and he brings snow to uh, to Halloween Town, and uh, you know they get to experience snow for the first time. We get to see all the characters making snow angels, making snowmen. Uh, they're playing ice hockey on the the frozen pond, or I guess the the dead lake, or whatever it is that they call it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think they get presents and whatnot at the very end. But it's a very quick ending. I love it. the The story ends, and they do not overstay their welcome. I think. From the time Santa disappears to the time credits roll, it might be two minutes. We get a quick song between Jack and Sally, and that's when we're supposed to assume that uh, they are now together forever. And I guess things go back to the way that they were. Um, and that's, for the most part, the movie. And mm-hmm. I love it. 76 minutes front to back filled with seven to ten terrific songs, great score, great characters. This is an all-killer, no-filler animated film from 93. Oh my God, it is all killer. And and, and I do love that. <laughs> like, there is part of me I, now as an adult, there's part of me that wishes that there was more. I think sure. if I had to do any cons of this movie, it's the fact that I just wish there was more. I wish that the ending had a, had a bit more substance to it going on. I, I wish that we saw Christmas Town a little bit more. Uh, there's just... I just, it left me wanting more, which is good. Like that's that's yeah. how it's show business, man. Like that's you leave on top. <laughs> what yeah. George does in his meetings in Seinfeld, you know, you, <laughs> you leave on top, and I, they definitely do that here. And and it just yeah, it ma- makes me want more. But I I really do appreciate that Tim Burton has not done anything more with this series in terms of actual um, actual movie sequels. It is interesting that he. Well, I, I guess maybe he didn't do them, but uh, because Disney owns Nightmare Before Christmas, I guess. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess they're the ones who are putting out these video games. But uh, yeah, it's interesting that we got two of those and that they were actual prequels and sequels and not um, not actual movies. It's kind of like the Incredibles franchise and how we got an actual yeah. sequel to the Incredibles before we got Incredibles 2. Yeah, it's actually exactly like that. That's funny. And it was the Buena Vista Games who made the Game Boy Advance game, at least. Mm-hmm. So That's a Disney uh, company, yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I would love to play the uh, the the actual console one, the Oogie Boogie's Revenge. It was on PS2 and I think Xbox. Never. Mm. I always looked for it back in the day on GameCube because I remember yeah. seeing it once at like a blockbuster on Xbox, and I was like, oh my god, they made a video game because it was like <laughs> there wasn't like it was it was a very hard time to be a Nightmare Before Christmas fan in the late '90s, early 2000s because yeah. you just had the movie. Like yeah. that was basically, it. and then you see this. This, this video game that you never heard of. And and Jack Skellington and Sally, they've shown up in other games over the years, like you mentioned before, uh, Kingdom Hearts. They're also playable skins in Little Big Planet 2. And they've showed up in, of course, games like Disney Infinity um, and, and other random Disney franchises like that. But we've never had any massive... I would love an open-world Nightmare Before Christmas game. Like, that would be so cool to be able to explore all the different towns. That's what I would like, honestly, way more than a sequel. Oh, geez. Like, like make it, like, just a game to be able to explore to different... Like, basically, Starfield, but Nightmare Before Christmas. Give me that, and I would just... You would never see me again. Uh, it would be so much fun. But uh, we're just left with this, this one film and uh, a few odd bits and pieces here and there of books and uh and the poem that i mentioned before and that that's basically it but the Mm -hmm. whole film was took three years to make over 100 camera operators set designers costume and prop builders half the time half of the three-year time that it took to make the film half of that was storyboarding the other half was basically painstakingly taking stop motion images of all of the characters slowly but surely moving their way through the film. It took 19 sound stages, 230 sets, hundreds of puppet characters, various heads and masks to make the characters look like that they are talking. 24 frames, 24 pictures per frame for a total of 109,440 photos taken to fully animate this movie. And Mike, I've, I've had stop motion explained to me several times including like cell animation like classic disney films i still don't get it <laughs> i still I, don't understand how this works 
It's it's crazy, and I mean, we're going to be uh, talking about another kind of claymation, stop-motion animation uh, uh, movie later on in December, Neil, so we'll have to uh, dive into more of how that stuff works, because it, it is crazy, and it's amazing how people are even have first of all the patience to this i think i would i know i would go nuts uh, i think of um parks and rec adam. yeah and, i was gonna uh, say the same thing uh, adam scott's scene <laughs> yes. when he is uh he's depressed and he's doing his uh he's laid off and he's doing his stop motion and it turns out to just be like three seconds of him getting up and walking and uh rob Lowe's like is that it i said no no i'm sure there's more and he said oh my god that was three weeks of work <laughs> and, and and that's such a relatable scene of anyone who's ever done any kind of animation or or stuff like that and uh and uh that's that must be how the guys felt on uh on nightmare before christmas work on the animation because yeah that that would have been tough yeah every minute of film took about a week of photo taking for 100 people yeah like and and what was the song it was like a an rem song right <laughs> so so good but mike i we do have a few closing segments for this film before we close out of course we need to read the back of the case but before we do i wanted to do a quick our favorite ranking of the tim burton films uh we you, you read the tim burton movies there at the very beginning of the episode do you mm-hmm. have like a top five tim burton movies that you uh, you like to go to of course not counting nightmare before christmas since he of course produced this one i uh, guess i do neil i carry it around with my wallet at all times obviously good uh <laughs> my number one is beetlejuice that is my absolute favorite tim burton movie i I love Beetlejuice so much. I love Michael Keaton. Uh, and to go on the Michael Keaton train, Batman from 1989. I love that uh, that Batman. Uh, Corpse Bride would be my number three. That's a really underrated movie, I think. And maybe part of the Nightmare Before Christmas universe. Who knows? Uh, Edward Scissorhands is probably number four. I, I've always enjoyed that one. Uh, and Mars Attacks is my number five. Because Mars Attacks is just a silly weird funny movie one that i i don't often associate with tim burton but uh but one yeah. that i love uh regardless so good danny devito uh so every actor's in that movie i'm not even going to start naming them uh <laughs> i love mars attacks but my list is actually very similar to yours actually i think we have almost all of the same movies except for one mm. uh number five for me is beetlejuice i love it it's just not i didn't watch it quite as much growing up uh, number four, Corpse Bride. I love that one. Love the music in it. It's it's actually way darker than Nightmare Before Christmas, I think. Yeah. Um, I like that one the older that I get as well. Number three is Sleepy Hollow. Uh, it's a Johnny Depp one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like that movie. I watched it when I was a kid. It was one of those movies that I watched that I felt like I was way too young to be watching. The Headless Horseman is an iconic horror character, and the whole story is really good. Christopher Walken's in it briefly, which is really cool. Number two, of course, is Batman starring Michael Keaton, who you and I both love. I love the 1989 Batman film. And number one is Mars Attacks. Uh, That was a movie I watched with my brother and friends a ton growing up. We used to love it, uh, laughed at it all the way through. I don't know if it's supposed to be scary. I should go back and watch it and see what so. scenes are actually. I think some scenes are a little bit disturbing, like when you see sure. people's like skin get melted off their bodies. I think that that's supposed to be a little bit creepy, but I used to think it was hilarious and just such a fun, fun movie. And I love seeing Mars Attacks merch show up every so often. You see a T-shirt or someone's yeah. got a Mars Attacks tattoo. It makes you feel like you're a part of something that like no one else really knows much about Mars Attacks, even though it's like a huge graphic novel series. And again, the one movie, very much a self-restraint franchise for sure. But with that, Mike, before we hit our last closing thoughts, I think it's about time that we hit the back of the case of Nightmare Before Christmas. What do you think? Let's hear it. All right. Sounds good. It's but first, time Victor, to read what's on the back jingle. of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case.
enter an extraordinary world filled with magic and wonder, where every holiday has its own special land and imaginative, one-of-a-kind characters. The Nightmare Before Christmas tells the heartfelt tale of Jack Skellington, the Pumpkin King of Halloween Town, and all things that go bump in the night. Bored with the same old tricks and treats, he yearns for something more, and soon stumbles upon the glorious magic of Christmas Town. Jack decides to bring this joyful holiday back to Halloween Town, but as his dreams to fill Sammy's shoes unravel, it's up to Sally, the rag doll who loves him, to stitch things back together. And that's it. That's the back of the case of Nightmare Before Christmas. Very interesting. It's interesting that they actually mention uh, the very beginning saying like that there's all the different towns that we don't even see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're not even in the movie. And also the fact that it doesn't mention that it's a musical at all either. No. No, and it totally is. It doesn't need to be. like It's just very much like a if you haven't heard of it by now, just check it out. Go in blind. I guarantee that's you're right. absolutely going to love it. And that's, oh, of course, my record. Are you the VHS uh, copy yeah. or the DVD copy? That was the VHS copy. Good, good, good. Yeah, I like the VHS copy. <laughs> yeah. And that is, of course, my recommendation of The Nightmare Before Christmas. I highly recommend you watch this movie every year after Halloween, Mike, because this movie for me is the perfect November 1st film, which is why we're playing this episode on November 1st, because the movie, it, it, it starts right at the end of Halloween and bridges the gap between Christmas and Halloween. I know that Henry Selleck and, uh, and uh, not Danny Elfman, and uh, Tim Burton have said that this is a definitive Halloween film, but for me, it's actually a November film. How about you? Do you have any uh, side that you usually uh, air on for this movie? 100% agree. It's a November film more <laughs> mm-hmm. than anything because, yeah, it's the in-between. It's li- The entire movie is literally the in-between of... Yep. Uh, October 31st and December 25th, uh, there is just a tiny, maybe four minutes of the movie that is actually on uh, uh, either the 25th or the 31st. So pretty cool that uh, we actually get a movie like this because I can't really think of anything that does this uh, in the same way. And also, I can't think of anything that, that... that shows off this in-between period between Halloween and Christmas without pushing consumerism also, or mm-hmm. talking about consumerism in some way. Uh, or like, I think they do do a great job with that. Like, sure, there's the presence, but it's like a different side of it. It's not people going to malls and freaking right. out, which I feel like every 90s Christmas <laughs> movie was uh, at this time. I think it's Jingle All the Way, of course. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah I, th- I think this, this movie is is perfect in that sense. And I think that, is where our uh, I'm going to take over the questions now, Neil. It's, uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> it's, you interview me. That's right. I'm going to interview you now. And that's kind of going into this last question of should there be a sequel or prequel or should there – basically, should there be more content? Should we have more Nightmare Before Christmas content? My short answer is no, but I will watch anything they make. Um, honestly, like I, I don't think that there should be, I love the fact that this is just a standalone movie. You can point to it. This is it. Enjoy it or don't. And then you move on and you can go buy a t-shirt. Literally. It's like, here's the ride exit through the gift shop and that's it. Um, but like I said, if they make, it has to be stop motion. Like whatever they make, it cannot be the, the illumination, the Pixar-ness that we get now. It has to be the pain. I love the fact that this is very much a human made movie. Like you can see this, the scratches on some of the characters you can see. It's like watching a Wallace and Gromit. You can see the thumbprint in the wax or in the clay. Like this one, like you can see when Jack's head isn't quite right in certain scenes. Like it's very much, it's very beautiful, but like you can see the human error in certain scenes. Not that there's very much, but you can definitely tell that this was made by by people and not to say that computer generated movies aren't, but it's just that that perfect, uh, perfectness of, you know, the, the Secret Life of Pets movies that we talk about, the cleanliness of everything, the... Yeah. 
uh, that I just don't like. So if they do make it, again, I will watch whatever it is. But I really, in my heart of hearts, if they do do a sequel, which eventually they will, it's Disney. They own the rights to it. Eventually, Tim Burton will no longer be able to defend it. They will eventually make a sequel of some kind. I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm just waiting for that day. But I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that it's. It's a stop motion movie, not between uh, Nightmare and Christmas, but I hope that they tie together two different holidays. And maybe it's not even Christmas or maybe it's not even Halloween and something else. Maybe it's Thanksgiving and Easter, like put together a whole new cast of characters if you have to. I think that'd be really cool. But how about you? Do you think that we're going to see a sequel? And if so, what do you want to see? Yeah, that's that's basically I'm kind of on the same train of thought there where like I, I, I don't want a sequel. I don't want necessarily a prequel to this because... This is perfect as is. It's it's a beautiful standalone movie, and I and we always talk about the fact that we we want to protect some of these things that are just like it exists and that's it. There's nothing around it. It's uh, one thing I like like a lot about Japanese animators. Uh, I think of Studio Ghibli, or I think of like uh, things that I like with uh, Perfect Blue and um, uh, Paprika. These really amazing animated movies that have a very style, like a certain style, just like how Nightmare Before Christmas has that very distinctive stop motion style that really can't be replicated in my mind uh, because that is the movie, right? The aesthetic is the movie rather than just the story and the songs and everything. It's the aesthetic of this that exists. And I don't think you can ever get that back. Right. And, and I, I don't think you should either. Like it's uh, it's a place in time. This movie came out almost exactly 30 years ago. It's uh, which is crazy, but mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's something that I feel like we're only going to be able to do with like CG. You know, like there's no way someone is going to pay all these people to do all the stop motion, which sucks, obviously. Uh, and I think that's why I'd like it to just stay, stay in 1993, which is, uh, which is where I think it should be. And the fact you can watch it anywhere today, like it's on Disney plus it's on other stuff. Maybe, I don't know, but it's, it's not like it's like, and they're also re-releasing it all the time. You can go to theaters this week and watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So it, it's something that is relatively easy to, to find. And I think it's just going to be a movie that, uh, will get bigger and bigger and bigger, but, I'm sure Disney will get their claws in it and uh, get their sandy claws in it and Ooh. and make some money off of it at some point. But we'll see. Just give me the video game, actually. That's that's what I want more than all, more than anything. The open yeah. world video game. Yeah. Oh, man. You said it perfectly well. I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, so, Mike, while I'm sitting here patiently waiting for the massively open world hit classic made by Rockstar, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, why not let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 37 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast? On episode 37, we are back to talking about video games. We are talking about Spider-Man Web of Shadows, a 2009 PS3 game. Uh, Maybe our first PS3 game that we've covered on this show so far, so I'm I'm pretty excited to talk about that. uh, the Activision Spider-Mans were definitely a time. Uh, no more. Uh, now we have Spider-Man 2, which just recently came out. So we're doing it to kind of, you know, get off the, uh, bring a bit of the hype uh, to our show from the uh, <laughs> the hype of Spider-Man 2 and and all the things that are coming out with that. So uh, it's going to be a good time. I know this has been one of your favorite games or one of your games that you've always had on your wish list to play, Neil. You finally mm-hmm. got to play it this year. So it'll be a fun time to talk about it. Yeah, I'm stoked. I love all the Spider-Man games. I love those Activision games from the 2000s. Hit or miss, most of them. Uh, The movie tie-ins, the random ones that they made based on comic books. Of course, you and I both love Spider-Man 2 and Ultimate Spider-Man. Very excited for Spider-Man 2 on PS5. And Web of Shadows is a classic too in its own right. It's really cool and incorporates a lot of neat comic book characters that we haven't seen in any other Spider-Man games. Of course, Venom is in there. Spoiler alert, Venom is in there. So it's going to be a ton of fun talking about that classic PS3 game with you. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, 
gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 36 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. And if you're a Spotify listener, please keep writing in on the new Q&A feature. We love reading your comments in our mailbag. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. You can follow us on Instagram and join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Sandy Claus, Neil says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. The Unlocking What Was Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. Our podcast is fan-funded by our listeners on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. The show is produced, hosted, and edited by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Additional voices provided by Victor Young. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. AJ Olson 11, Bogus Lotus, Cube Dude, Dean Donian, Joey Sirico, Marty Thompson, Sparks Fly 027, and Way Overrated. I can't help but think that my parents wanted to see The Nightmare Before Christmas day one in theaters, but they couldn't because my mom was literally about to give birth to me the next day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they probably just should have should have taken the L on that one. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, that, that's the story that my, my mom watched Nightmare Before Christmas. That happens where, like, women go into labor and yeah. they go see a movie because it's like it takes like a day, right? <laughs> I mean, th- 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 that's why you were born the next day. It- it's fate, Neil. It's fate. I-, I could have been born at the Nightmare Before Christmas premiere. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Lost opportunity.